Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> so I'm very thankful we don't have 43 laws to go over this time. Two weeks ago, that was, uh, that was hard. But uh, we're, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 29 mostly today. If we have time, we'll cover uh, 30 through 32. Um, but I think we'll just spend most of the time camped out in 29. Um, I have really enjoyed studying Deuteronomy um, because I think I mentioned this two weeks ago because it, it's so tied uh, all the way up to the Gospels, like you really start to see uh, the whole story um, of the Bible played out all the way through the Gospels. But to really appreciate it, you you got to camp out in Deuteronomy for a little while to understand the law. Last week, uh, Alan began to talk about the blessings and the curses, and he introduced uh, this topic of the covenant and just briefly talked about covenant. But I want to go a little bit deeper in covenant, and the reason I want to do that is because I feel a little empowered. Um, I mentioned Timothy Keller. Uh, I found a sermon of his from back in 2013 on covenant relationship, and so, so I just listened to his sermon several times and just jotted down notes. So I want to full disclosure, uh, trying not to just rob his sermon, but I did. Um, so uh, I'll, maybe I can send you a link to his sermon because it's, it's one of the best sermons I've heard. Uh, and if you don't have him on your podcast, I know he's Presbyterian, but if you don't have him on your podcast, um, you really sh- you really should add him. I th- I, he's one of the I think America's best theological minds right now. So. Um, take a chance and, and listen to him. <clears throat> so um, s- starting in 29, we, we're introduced into um, God establishing <clears throat> a covenant with his people or really renewing a covenant with his people. Um, and one of the things that, that Keller, uh, in addition to the other commentaries and the other sources that we talked about or that we have for this class, one of the things that, that Keller pointed out is that when we look at the covenant, we see three things. Uh, we see how this covenant is unique, and we see how this covenant is mysterious, and we see that there is a hero uh, to this covenant. And so he unpacks all this, and I'll give you a couple of, of his notes. But, um, but to start out, when we talk about the word covenant today in modern culture, we really don't have a good word for it other than covenant. And a lot of people don't really fully appreciate what covenant relationships really truly mean um, but we look in verse 12 um, if you'll just if you'll look down in Deuteronomy verse 12 um, NIV is is a little bit different actually let me read from the NIV I've been looking at the ESV um, look at verse 12 chapter 29 verse 12 you are standing here in order to enter into a covenant uh, with the Lord your God a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath then in 13 to confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you and swore to your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob so the first thing to pick up here is this is very personal the personal pronouns if we just look at covenant in terms of a contract contracts aren't personal we don't see the personal pronouns yours mine his um, this sense of belonging. So there's this, there's this idea of covenant relationship is love and intimacy. There is relationship. But then the second thing that we see is it's also legal. It's a contract. There is an oath to a contract. There are certain obligations. There are certain things that, that have to be uh, upheld. And so we see this, we see this relationship between a uh, a covenant is more than a legal contract. It's more than a personal contract, but it's kind of this 
unique blend of love and legality. And so when you look at Deuteronomy as a whole, when we saw retelling of the law, it's not just a retelling of the law, it's, it's telling of a contract that is establishing a relationship that is full of love and intimacy and laws and, and restrictions and you know, there's the legal side of this as well. So when we talk about modern society, we talk about our culture, we don't tend to like to mix personal and legal. We like to keep these things separate, right? Um, it's, it's really hard for us to talk about having a contract um, with somebody and talk about, well, we can be friends, but let's also be business professionals as well. You don't, you don't see that as often. Um, one of the ways that, that Keller put this is in a covenant relationship, basically you say, well, let me put it this way, in a, in a consumer relationship, you would say, I will be what I should be to the extent that you are what you should be. But in a covenant relationship, it says, I will be what I should be regardless of what you are or what you do. And so there's a, a very important difference there. Um, consumer relationships happen all the time, right? Um, do that with a restaurant. Uh, you have your favorite restaurant, you go there, you've got a relationship, but you know, a nicer restaurant moves a little closer to your work. Uh, maybe it's cheaper. You know, you can drop that other, other relationship, right? Start a relationship with a closer, uh, <laughs> closer restaurant, save some money and have a, have a better lunch hour. Um, consumer relationships are good, but covenant relationships, um, they, they require much more out of us. Um, they, they're very profound. Uh, and you'll see that today, people in our culture struggle with, uh, with this idea of covenant relationship. Um, they say things like, I'd rather be spiritual, but not religious. Uh, so what are they saying when they say, I'd rather be spiritual, but not religious, is I'd rather have a personal relationship with God, but I don't want all the rules and the contractual things that I have to do. Can I, can I just love God and that be enough? Because uh, God's just going to love me. God doesn't just go into relationships people with people outside of a covenant relationship. If you look through scripture, starting with, uh, with Abraham, Noah, uh, David, all, all the ways that God relates to people is through covenant relationships. Uh, it's not outside of covenant relationships. <clears throat> so that's kind of where, where we get into the mystery uh, of this relationship uh, or covenant relationships. Um, they're more than contracts. They're not anything less. Um, so we get into verse 9 is where it gets interesting. Um, Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God, uh, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the aliens living in your camps, who chop your wood and carry your water, you are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. Um, there are blessings and rewards, just as Alan kind of mentioned last week with a covenant. Uh, if you uphold the agreement, good things happen. That's why you go into contracts. But if you don't, there are stipulations, um, which we get down to verse 18. Um, it says, uh, make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart 
turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter fruit. Um, there are penalties. Uh, every contract, that's what makes a contract meaningful, right? Because of the penalties. That's what gives it the backbone. Um, but this is where it, it starts to create a problem. So as we read through Deuteronomy, and as we saw last week in, in the chapters that Alan's co- covered, there's this conflict with follow the law, God will bless you. Don't follow the law, God will curse you. And that doesn't, that doesn't set well with us, uh, not as a society, um, because there's, you're, always, you're always fighting. So, you, so one person says, wait, I thought God was a forgiving God. Uh, the next person says, you know, wait a second, can God just ignore all the things that we've done wrong? Because uh, what about his holiness? Um, if God is holy, he can't just ignore the things that we've done wrong. But if he's just, if he loves us and, you know, uh, regardless of what we do, then, you know, where's his faithfulness? Is that his faithfulness? It, it creates this paradox. Um, and so you, you almost see God on the one hand saying, I, I cannot bless a disobedient people. I mean, he says that uh, all throughout Scripture. We see that in Deuteronomy. We see that through the Psalms. We see this everywhere. I cannot um, bless a disobedient people. Then on the other hand, you hear God saying time and time again, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will always be with you. Um, so we're always struggling with this, what seems to be an ir- irreconcilable tension. Um, but there is this idea that this is the plot line that runs all the way through the Bible that propels the story of the Bible forward. Um, and it has to do with this tension. Um, so what do we do with this tension? Will God give in to his people or will God give up on his people? Um, so let's go, let's see. The, the answer to that we just read, I believe it was verse, uh, it was 19, nope, sorry, 13, where he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob. And so let's go back to, if you went back to Genesis 15, and this is what Alan talked a little bit about last week. When we go all the way back to Genesis 15, we see the covenant that God establishes with Abraham. And I think this is really fascinating to me because I did not ever pick up with this as a kid or as a teenager. It wasn't until recent years that I really started to put all these things together. But in Genesis 15, you see this darkness come down and Abraham is, is there uh, when this darkness comes down and God tells Abraham, cut some animals up, range them in an aisle, and um, cut them up, put them in an aisle, you get blood and, and mess everywhere. And to Abraham, he knew exactly what was going on. He was about to go through a, uh, a ceremony to establish a covenant. And so what's fascinating, that had to be fascinating to these people uh, and to Abraham, was that God began to go through those pieces um, as a part of taking this oath for this covenant, um, which is something unheard of. No Lord would ever do this. He would always send his vassals, uh, his peons through uh, through this, but God would never do this. The, uh, the Lord or a king would never, never walk through this covenant because in essence, when you go through these pieces, you're saying whatever has happened to these animals, I accept to happen to me if I break this covenant. 
Uh, in fact, you probably know Hebrew better than this. I, I, it's been a long time since I've looked at he- Hebrew, but even the word covenant is built off the root word cut, um, which is a very strong visual. You're not just breaking a covenant. You are you're cutting it and everything related to that. This is a big deal if you break a covenant. But what was more mysterious and, and uncanny to Abraham was that Abraham, the servant, was never called to walk through the pieces. Therefore, he never had to accept the responsibility of not upholding the covenant. Only God walked through it. And so you go back to, to, um, to Deuteronomy now, and you think about this covenant being renewed, you're still stuck with, all right, so how does this all play out? So now you can go forward to the Gospels, right? You can go forward to, to Jesus. You, you're always dealing with this paradox of, is God going to bless us? Is he going to curse us? What's going to happen if I don't keep the law? But now Jesus has changed the game because, again, darkness falls. Jesus is beaten. He's torn. Nails, scars, um, thorns, whips, spears. Uh, all that happens, and that is essentially God fulfilling the covenant, saying... I am taking on all the curses. Um, You haven't been able to keep the law. I'm taking on the curses. Um, But at the same time, I'm being faithful. I'm loving you (laughs) as a result because you can't uphold all of this. So you begin to see this covenant being fulfilled through Jesus. Um, And so, again, we're looking ahead. We're looking back. But right here in this day and time, Moses is looking at his people, reminding them, you're going to mess up, but you're also going to do good both blessings and curses but when we look at scripture in bite-sized pieces all the way through we're always dealing with this tension of i don't get it god what are you which way but all of these things i think are pointing towards the day um, of jesus where he fulfills this covenant um so it to me it just brings a whole lot of clarity um to this paradox that that we always seem, seem to talk about um let's see if there's anything Curses aren't for someone who, you know, messes up on the Sabbath. They're for people who utterly turn away and worship false gods. So it's, you know, it's more than just breaking the law. This is leaving God all, all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any other any other comments? We'll before we move on out of twenty nine. Any other thoughts or, or reactions? That's the part where a guy is standing there ready to take the oath, and he says, okay, yeah, I'll do the oath. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking, but I'm still going to do what I want. And just read how, how severe God comes down on somebody like that. Yeah, and I think that's what this whole, again, this paradox that we live in today, there people go one way or the other. They go liberal or they go very conservative, it's very liberal is, well, as long as I am, God's gonna love me no matter what, but the kind of the conservative side is, no matter what you do, as long as you're good in the end, <laughs> you'll be okay. But I think this whole passage and uh, the whole story throughout the scripture is, you gotta have, you gotta understand living in obedience is, is saying thankful, is being thankful that Jesus died for this so take it uh, as something very, very important, right? Um, live in obedience, 
And, uh, you know, that's a way of saying thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you see, um, all this too plays out with Romans 4, where Paul says that this is how God can be just and justifier um, at the same time, um, which I think is really interesting. Uh, and this is also where Paul talks about, you know, Christ became the curse uh, um, so that we don't have to be. Any other thoughts or comments? All right, let's let's look at verse uh, or chapter thirty. Um, so now we 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 see Moses set up uh, this covenant again, renew this covenant. Uh, I think one of the things to point out is that this is for everybody. It's not for the elite. It's not for just the priest. This is for the group. Um, so as we get into chapter thirty, uh, we see um, this idea of prosperity coming to the people if you turn to the Lord Moses says to them um, as you go into into Canaan um, know that when you turn to the Lord when you are obedient you do follow his ways you will prosper now again we kind of struggle with that because we start to talk about prosperity gospel and all of this stuff um, today which I don't think this is quite you can quite take it that far at least in this context um, but as you mentioned going into uh, into a new country um, seeing what other people do, seeing what other cultures do, if you start acting like them, it's certainly going to bring on um, some new ways of thinking and you're going to start questioning things. And then that's where we get into, um, I think, verse 11. Um, let me just read through, uh, from verse 11, we'll read, read through the end. Um, now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into the heavens to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask uh, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near. It is in your mouth. It is in your hearts so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore 
to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know if anybody thought about uh, the Garden of Eden in this, um, but it's, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, what did God give to Adam and Eve at the beginning? There were two trees, right? And he gave them a choice. Um, there's the tree of life, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you kind of, you wonder if these people, uh, if the Israelites, very familiar with that story, um, are recognizing there are really always two decisions. There is to choose life or there is to choose, learn knowledge of good and evil. Um, and I think this kind of draws back that, that, uh, that story. So as you go into this new land, sure, you could spend a lot of time trying to study and understand what these cultures are doing, try to integrate, try to take on some of the things that they see. Maybe, oh look, they do some things that are good. Let's try that. Um, but inevitably you're gonna see them doing things that are evil. And it's only a matter of time before those evil practices seep into what you're doing. Um, there's probably a, an untold number of examples in modern culture where we see, see that, where there is this blending of things, um, of good and evil, to the point where you don't know what is good, right? Uh, this goes back to a lot of those laws. Don't mix the linens. Um, don't mix the, um, uh, the different types of crops. Um, there is something about keeping things pure and simple. Uh, this is why I, I, I suspect this is why you see Jews don't eat cheeseburgers, right? Um, because you have the cheese uh, or the mother's uh, meat. You don't put the, the mother's milk in the meat. Um, you don't cook those together. So you can have a hamburger, but you can't have a cheeseburger. So, um, but it's this just mental reminder of choose life, not death. Don't mix things, just choose life. Um, and then even God calls out there at the end, um, you know, to listen to his voice as opposed to maybe the serpent's voice, right? The world's always gonna be telling us to, to just consider this as an option. Um, and I've really struggled with just this piece, um, particularly this week for a number of different things, but uh, you may have your own example, but um, in culture, I feel like um, there is always a gray area here with our culture trying to push us to be more embracing and accepting of certain ideas and trends, um, especially within things you hear in media and you, you know, anything that you, that, that you can read right now, and it's always pulling us away from this law um, to be obedient and to be holy uh, in one sense, to stay away from what the world is doing. Um, it's, to me, is a, is a real struggle, and I know with our generation and the ones coming up, um, it, it, frankly, it scares me quite a bit. And this whole idea of covenant uh, relationship is helpful. Um, because it does require us to put a little effort in that we can't just stand by and go, oh, well, let's just go be friends with everybody and accept the way that they live is fine. It's a really dangerous thing uh, to me um, to be saying. Like, it's not to say that we shouldn't go and try to share the gospel with people, but, but just to go and, and hang out all the time and not ever share the gospel is very, very dangerous um, because then you get, you get laid back and then you fall away from obedience. So any thoughts or comments? Because 
to me, this is not freedom in Christ. Christ offers us freedom. And it seems like the giving of law was an attempt to manipulate behavior to affect the heart of his people, which, you know, can work. But if he would have, you know, just the end, I said before you hear, you know, choose to love and obey. You, uh, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, the two most important things, but that's not all that was given to them. If they could have just, oh, I'm not acting lovingly if I leave my neighbor's ox in the, in the ditch, maybe I ought to, you know, but now that it's spelled out, if you don't, now you're in big trouble if you don't do that specific thing. Now, all of these little big things are spelled out. That's not freedom. And so when Christ comes and we're, we're free from all of these tiny things to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves, the way that that we ought to seems um, like I, 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 I can understand that because Jesus is, is the person who took on the penalty for not being able to keep all of these teeny tiny things, or that teeny do really big things that you get stoned for, you know I mean? Um, and so it, it is always frustrating to me, seeing from this side of, you know, 2,000 years past the resurrection, and then thousands and thousands of years past this, why don't we just say, just love people, come on, that's all we want to do, but no, it was all of this stuff, of course they're going to mess up, I mean, if you spell every, if you tell your child, you need to walk like this, and you need to dress like this, well, at some point, they're going to forget, and now they're in trouble, but if you just say, you know, you need to make sure you're wearing clothes when you leave the house, well, then they're going to, but if you specify, you know, I don't know, it just seems like the more rules you give, the more likely they are that people are going to not follow them, not because their heart is bad or evil, because it's impossible to always do all the rules, and that is not freedom, and what I get from Jesus is freedom in Christ, to love God and love others the way he empowers us to do. Anyway, that's my question. Oh. <laughs> but I don't think you can have freedom unless you can love Unless you can. Yo. Yeah, okay. And I don't think you can understand freedom in Christ until you have it. Yeah, I I do think that's part of, um, I I guess when you put this in the scope of the whole story, you know, now we're in a new covenant. And so like what you were talking about, you know, they they don't even say, like you were alluding to, they don't say we're going to make a covenant or write a covenant or... The verb is to cut a covenant because it's a blood covenant, and and now we're in a new covenant. But my perspective is that we have a whole trajectory of, of story and relationship with God. So in the garden, there's a fall. You know, well, first in the garden, everything everything is good and, and there's wholeness and shalom, and there's a fall. And ever since that point. Uh, we're, we're on this path, this trajectory to get back to God's shalom. And although this is a, a little bit frustrating for the, for the reasons Dixie pointed out, um, I think it is a waypoint along that path, uh, along that trajectory. So it, it is kind of like what Randall's saying, it's that yoke so that then we can progress past that into the freedom we have in Christ so that 
um, we can love others. And we, and we even see glimpses of that even in Genesis 15, that promise or the, or the covenant that the Abrahamic covenant, uh, the clause at the end is so that all people will, will, or so that God will be glorified throughout all the nations. So even in, even in that uh, infancy, God is already working to try to uh, redeem the entire world. And so, yes, he's doing it through a people who are holy and set apart. Uh, but the intent is so that all will know God, so that all will come to be able to love. And eventually, as the story plays out, so that all will be free in Christ. Um, so, you know, it, there are there are pieces that are frustrating to us, I think, in today's sensitivities and culture that we're in today. But it, it's all part of the progression of the story. And so kind of have to get the 10,000 foot view of it. And I think you have to look. We're trying to establish a monotheistic culture. And we're the only monotheist. Everybody else is polytheist. And, and the only way that God sees to do that is utter separation. You don't intermarry. You don't worship at their sites. Even though you want to take that site and make it a place to worship Jehovah, you worship uh, this localization in, in Deuteronomy of worship in a central location. Uh, you know, it's a, what I see is a real effort to separate Israel from the polytheistic culture around it so they can maintain their monotheism. And, and to do that, he says, it's, it's going to be tough. If, if you go into monotheism or go back to polytheism, you know, this is what's going to happen. So, and still, they, they go back. So it, it, you see it all through, all through you know, even through the, the period of the Divided Kingdom, you know, the polytheism keeps attacking, and, yeah. and they keep attacking. Yeah. So. Then we'll get there. <laughs> I was just going to say, our grace is going to be a parent. Yeah. I'm going to have a relationship with him. And until I enter into that kind of relationship, I don't get the freedoms and, and really the love and commitment until I'm in that. But we were in this together. I'm free to mess up. <laughs> I, I know he's still faithful to me, and I'm still faithful to him. There's, there's freedom in that covenant, but there's still that commitment. And, and that, that's what God, in love, is establishing, is a covenant with us. And through that, we receive all these blessings. But, like, I don't get the blessings of marriage, all the blessings that come with it, family and everything else, until I enter into that covenant. And so God is, is asking us, Binding us in this beautiful covenant, and through that we receive all these blessings of, of His grace and love and mercy. But it's because we are yoked to Him, we have entered into that covenant, and we have given our lives to Him. Do you imagine if wedding ceremonies were walking through an aisle of dead animals, and then we had a barbecue <laughs> after? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good example. Thank you. Um, I think it's fascinating that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about obeying all the commands, as Moses talked about here. And he talks about the tiniest commands are important to obey as well as what we would consider the huge ones. And like there's an example here of blessing and cursing in Deuteronomy 5 when Moses is going over the Ten Commandments again. He says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. The reward being that your days may be long, and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Okay, now that's like a huge command, right? The 
the Ten Commandments are the summary of the whole covenant. Okay, in Deuteronomy 22, verses 6 and 7, it says, If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself. The reward that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. How fascinating is it that like you have this huge command, obey your father and mother so that you may have long life. When you see an egg on the road of a bird, don't mess with it. Yeah. So that you may have long life. So like Jesus is in a sense I think alluding to examples like this. The great commands, the little commands all train you, form you into holiness. That holiness is the freedom that the Torah gives, that Jesus, as the fulfillment of the Torah, is trying to enlighten us to again in his teaching. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. And I think um, the holiness is now different that we're called to. So, whereas, you know, these people are called to a, a holiness where they're set apart, they're not. To intermix, um, they can even intermix the linens and things like that. Um, it seems like Jesus is kind of turning that and saying, "Okay, now we're, we're we still are going to be a holy people, but what's going to set us apart is the way we love people and care for even the egg on the road." Um, and so, it seems like that's why he was constantly at dinner with sinners, and you know, he's looking for any opportunity to love others so that they can learn about the love of God. And, and that is what, I, mean, I, think, I think that's what we would say, that's what made Jesus holy, um, is, his, is his willingness to love radically. Um, what's the Tim Keller book? Uh, uh, prodigal, yeah. he talks about prodigal love, what does he call it? Uh, prodigal uh, God, prodigal, yeah. um, and he talks about the prodigal love of God, which is just lavish and reckless. And un, un, unbridled. Um, so it seems like that's now what makes us holy rather than the keeping of all of the kosher laws and all this. Yeah, it's great. I think Paul, <coughs> who was a legal expert, right, in the law, um, you know, he says it best if keep the law, stay obedient. But when you fail, and you will fail, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus as a result of this, right? Um, yeah, so the marriage and the parenting both seem to be very covenantal relationships. Um, and then, as, again, as we consider some of these other laws, you remember the ones about don't take an oath? Um, the more oaths that you take, the more it distracts from your covenant relationships. Uh, the more that you are required to do for others, the more likely you are then to be unable to uphold your oath to them and to God. Um, so it's uh, again, all these laws, I think, are there to, to help you stay obedient and to set yourself apart. So uh, it's, it's good observation for everybody. Any other comments? We only got a few minutes left. Any last things? Like, um, thirty verse uh, 4. Uh, it makes me think of Eric Nassar, right? Yeah. Um, but it says, even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you. 
the trajectory of the Lord bringing us back. And you know, I even think of the God of Eden with that verse. Like, even if you've been banished to the to the most distant land, think of Adam and Eve. Yeah. He still it says from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring back. So like, yes, they're banished from that garden. But I remember learning, studying that piece and learning how it was his mercy, it was God's mercy to banish them because they would have been eternally living in sin. But they they banished he banished them so that they wouldn't And just how this whole story, this big God story, is him, the Lord, the God gathering us and bringing us back. And Yeah. So when I hear when I hear the story of Jesus in the context of of Genesis 15, like to me that that is the gospel. Like that is a way of telling the gospel. This is what God did uh, to bring about salvation to His creation, um, to bring about uh, newness once again. So uh, we're not going to cover the rest of it, obviously. Um, so, but we do get into the last few chapters where Moses. Uh, commissions now Joshua to take over um, and then uh, we'll let Eric wrap it up next week so thanks for the discussion Yeah, but that, 